Welcome to 30 Years Later. I'm one of your hosts, Ricky Camilleri. Welcome to the new and improved 30 Years Later, right? Because as I was saying, as we started, I'm doing, a, I'm doing an intro. We're not just going to talk our way into it. We're going to introduce the podcast. Talk, I feel like we've gone astray a little bit Introduce already. ourselves. Just a tiny bit. We're no, no, no. It's, not, it's a slight tangent to reorient the audience into the mix of the new and improved 30 Years Later 2.0 year, years later. I'm your host, Rick Camilleri, and this is uh, my fellow host, Chris, Chris Chafin. Chafin. Yes, thank you, everyone. And 30 Years Later is usually a podcast where we talk about a movie that came out 30 years ago this week. Now we're changing it to 30 years ago or just years ago. And this movie... What, are you some kind of cop? What, what are you, are you yeah. some kind of time cop? What, you care so much? How many, exactly how many years ago it came out this week? Fuck off. And yeah, really, you're going to like, you know, you're going to fact check a, a podcast about movies, about whether or not they, whatever, like, but this movie didn't come out 30 years ago. This movie came out because I would actually probably fact check a podcast yeah, if they were I spouting think, facts. I think I would also. Yeah, I think yeah. I would. But I mean, those are not the facts that we're fudging right now. We're just saying we're going to talk about whatever we want. But this movie came out 29 years ago, but 30 years ago, the tragedy surrounding this movie happened. We are talking about. 1994's The Crow, uh, starring Brandon Lee. It was re- released posthumously because he uh, tragically died on set on March 31st, 1993. So 30 years ago, as we're recording tonight, 30 years ago, five days ago. People once believed that when someone dies, a crow carries their soul to the land of the dead. But sometimes, just sometimes, the crow could bring that soul back to put the wrong things right. He uh, tragically passed away when there was a uh, malfunction with a with a, a a magnum. Jesus Christ! Like a a, yeah. a, a giant fucking handgun, a cannon uh, had a. Um, a blank that was lodged in the chamber. Ricky, not the I chamber. Love, excuse I me. I would love to talk about this in detail, but I feel like we should save it for a little bit later in the show because this is the main event. I mean, there's so much. Oh, okay. To, like the the thing. Yes, Brandon Lee died filming the movie. This is to me the what most you, famous thing about you, the movie. Chris, I you know I don't know if I would refer to the tragic death of a 28 year old man um, at the hands of a. Um, horrific mishap set mishap involving a uh, 44 magnum pistol as the main event of the conversation i understand yeah. where you're coming from i understand that all of our brains are poisoned by true crime podcasts true crime documentaries on netflix and so we can't help but uh turn real life events into sporting events tape uh, water cooler conversation or narrativize them yeah, just, through the sort of commercials and movies that we've consumed over the course of our pop culture induced lives i understand look, that but maybe I, you want to retract that statement look obviously we've all obviously i was under an incredible amount of stress and i said some things that i really regret and i'm just <laughs> taking some time to listen and learn right now <laughs> And I want to thank everyone uh, for their help in my journey and, and apologize to, to everyone that I've hurt. 
I think that's really brave of you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I also think it's brave of me. Yes. So we're talking about a. Uh, I, I will. I think I've said this about a few movies uh, that we've talked about in our in our days of doing this, but a very 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 formative movie for young Ricky. I had the ta- I had the tape of this movie. I fucking love this movie, and more importantly, I had the soundtrack. Yeah. Now. Yeah. One thing about this movie is uh and we'll we'll get into it but broadly speaking it 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 runs from fine to not great (laughs) though there's some those those though there's some 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 great production design cinematography within it but generally speaking fine to not great but in 1994 if you were 10 11 12 13 14 years old this fucking soundtrack slayed. Yeah, it, yeah, 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 yeah. It broke your brain. We're talking The Cure, Nine Inch Nails covering Joy Division, Pantera, right? Which has a, a sample. The song has a sample from Taxi Driver in it. Stone Temple Pilots, Helmet, Jesus and Mary Chain. It's insane. Yeah. And My Life with if the you Thrill were, Cult is in the movie, oh, right? Yeah. Yes. If you were on the verge of liking some of this music because you heard Nine Inch Nails on MTV or something, this soundtrack kind of like blew blew it open for you, turned you into a goth kid. And so, Rage Against the Machine was on the soundtrack yeah, as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I just have to say, like, I think this is one of the core differences between us, Ricky, is for whatever reason, I never, ever watched this movie as a kid, and I never, ever had the soundtrack. Even though when I was, like, 14, I was, like, a goth kid, and I did have, like, I used to, like, burn incense and listen to Pretty Hate Machine and, like, drip wax under my fingers in my room, like, in South Florida by myself. But I, for whatever reason, was completely resistant to watching The Crow. Something about it, I can't even, like, I was afraid of it or I thought I was, like, supposed to like it and I resented it. I don't know. I mean, probably mostly that I was afraid of it, I think. Like, I thought it was, like, a spooky thing for bad kids, you know? But I never, ever, I had never, ever seen it. And watching this movie uh, the other day, I was thinking, like, I would be such a better person if I had been into this movie when I was 12 years old. Like, I really wish that I had had the courage to be super into The Crow um, instead of whatever dumb bullshit I was into at the time. Because uh, it is Probably cool. It's so fucking cool. It's so cool. Yeah, I was into Star Trek, and I was into, like, uh monty python probably you know like that's what i was into yeah Yeah. i wish i see that's that's always been my take on monty python is that i wish that i was into monty python when i was young but i always thought they were i always thought their voices were annoying yeah i mean it was because my parents thought it was cool and like i i just spent a lot of and that was like they had just started showing it on comedy central when i was like that age so i just used to watch that like all afternoon that's what i had kids in the hall for but oh yeah i I watched that also yeah I wish that I was into Monty Python. So, so this movie was like a, I think also like a babysitter movie for me where like a babysitter showed it to me uh, and I just became obsessed and it became a thing that I had to watch all the time. And it was another incident, like I'm, I'm trying to remember one of the previous movies where this happened, where I turned the movie on hadn't seen it in a long time and it was like muscle memory or oh, i just yeah. sort of you were saying I, that about some movie was it like freddy six was that the oh yes it was about? it was it was freddy's dead it was freddy's dead so yeah. it was like muscle memory where i just remembered everything uh uh about this movie now watching it as an adult 
is it better than Freddy's Dead? I think so. Um, it is definitely better than Freddy's Dead, like by a lot. Is there? Is there? Is does I'm it? Finding have... this, I'm finding this very interesting. If I can just say, because I feel like you're approaching this as something that it was was very meaningful to you as a child, and as an adult, you're a little critical of it. Whereas I, when I was a child, the idea of this movie for some reason was offensive to me, and I didn't want to see it. But watching it as an adult, I was like. This movie fucking rips. Like I love everything about this movie. I thought it was so great. I was I was literally like imagining the alternate version of myself that was like super into the crow in 1994. Well, I think the death of T-Bird is one of the co- is like the coolest part of the movie. Oh my God. Mainly yeah. mainly because it's David Patrick Kelly who is uh from my perspective one of the great character actors of the 70s 80s. Uh, he's still alive, right? The Warriors, 48 Hours, Commando, yeah, Twin yeah. Peaks, I, I mean, Pro. this movie is a real like tour um, de force of that guy actors from this particular oh, moment in yeah. history. You've got so Ernie, many that guys in this. Ernie Hudson, Michael Wincott. I had plans where I was going to pull up all the that guys and then look at all the movies and then just have a list of all the movies, all the various that guys in this movie had appeared in. I did not get it together to do that, but I, I just want to acknowledge that that was a good idea. And I... <laughs> But imagine now that I'm doing that. People know Michael Wincott from his recent turn in Nope, where he's the cinematographer that they hire in Nope, who has a a wind-up camera uh, that Kiki Palmer and Daniel Kaluuya do the high-five over. Oh, Um, Bai Bai Ling is in this movie? Like, she's one of the main bad guys, and she's great. She's his his half-sister who likes to cut out women's eyes. Mm -hmm. Um, Tony Todd is in this movie? Right, Tony Todd is his henchman. It's a real nothing role for Tony Todd. But he's great like, in it. He's great in it. Of course, he's great. He's Tony Todd. Oh my god! Also yeah. great in the many Star Trek episodes that he's in. He's really good at Star Trek. I really like the the character Skank. Oh yeah. Uh, when 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 Skank and T Bird are together and they just keep going, fire it up, 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 fire it up. They're pumping their arms at each other, like basically bumping their stomachs together and yelling, fire it up, fire it up. And I thought to myself as that was happening, this is the kind of shit Ricky likes. I bet he really likes this. Oh, I love, I did. It's like, my, as an adult, it's like my favorite part of the movie because they're yelling, they're yelling fire it up because they're going to burn places down. And it's just like, uh, I just enjoy how literal it is. Like they're, they're just these very literal criminals. Also, there's something about it where it's like, it's the kind of behavior where it's not even necessarily acting. It's like recording some people acting weird, which I think yeah. a- appeals to you very deeply. And it does me too, but you even more. I, I think I will say this. What I what I enjoyed about this movie, uh, watching it now, is that it, it's an adaptation. It's the kind of comic book adaptation that I think I grew up more with that I that I that I happen to enjoy where it's uh like the like the first Punisher with Dolph Lundgren which I know people don't know usually like but to me that's kind of like those were the comic books that I read they were like kind of gritty they were violent the bad guys were 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 pretty silly uh they were kind of like an outcropping of 80s action movies in their in their own way dude and, this is I can I not to interrupt but I just want to say I completely yeah. agree with you and this is 
was one of my main takeaways from this movie is that it is like the perfect comic book movie. Uh, Roger Ebert yes. actually called it in his review, the best version of a comic book universe I've seen. <laughs> no, there is. It's like, I was like, this is the best comic book movie that has ever been made. It's almost like a cartoon. It's like a, it's like you're watching a cartoon, but it's people, but in a way that's so hard to describe until you see it, you know, just, there's a scene where he's, he's randomly is running across the rooftops to show his like new powers as the crow, but it's shot in this kind of weird way. And the roof just has all these weird boxes that he's jumping off of. But I was like, if this was in Batman, the animated series, I wouldn't think about it twice, (laughs) but it's just because it's like real people doing it. It seems a little weird, but it's, it's great. It works, you know, but even just the way that like the city is this sort of like weird, fake destitute city. It's it's sort of like taking Gotham and, shooting yeah. like methamphetamines like shooting speed balls into it and just destroying it even more and it feels like a comic book's idea of a city in the in the late 80s early 90s and, and everything has like, this yeah like looming kind of noirish you know heavy yes, architecture exactly. quality but everything is like wet and full of like comic book criminals yeah. you know with vests and no shirts on underneath doing drugs devil's night is upon us again <laughs> A little party, start a bunch of fires, make a little profits. Rest in peace, Brandon Lee. I will say one of my problems with the movie is is uh, unfortunately his performance. Oh my god! I, really? Yes, uh, I I am a, I apologize. It's just like swan song. It's pretty like I don't feel good saying it. It's dedicated to him in the end of the movie. But the way that he he does a kind of voice change, like a voice modulation in the same way that sort of Batman does a voice modulation at times in Batman Begins and Dark Knight. Is that gasoline I smell? You know, there's a scene where he's like beating up Tintin, uh, the guy who the knife thrower. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he, he's like, uh, you raped her. You killed her. <laughs> Like what? He, like his voice doing that thing with his voice is like uh, it took me out of the movie and I found it kind of annoying. But anytime Michael Wincott is on screen, anytime uh, David Patrick Kelly is on screen, and anytime it's, you're just like looking at the set design and the cinematography, it's fucking beautiful. The chase scene between the cops and David Patrick Kelly. And the other guy is like trying to drive and find Skank is driving around trying to find them and he ends oh, up T boning yeah. the cop car. It's so cool. It's like it's it's so well done. And it, um, and I love that he's in like this tiny ass, very strange car that has its windshield broken because he got hit by it. <laughs> and and that is the car that he's doing the the chase in. Um it's just kind of creatively done. And I mean, this is speaking of like the creative stunt work in, in this movie. I mean, the other big thing to talk about is that the person, you know, who uh, was Brandon Lee's best friend and stuntman who was called on oh, to wait, finish oh, wait, the movie. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Before we get into that, I'm sorry. Can I finish my previous No, please. Thought? Yeah, no, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's, like that's like a whole new thing that we're going to talk about. Yeah, but okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, go say, for it. I just want, in regards to this as a comic book movie versus what comic book movies are now that I see is that this feels like an extension of action movies from the eighties pulp from the eighties. Uh, and it's R rated and it, and 
and it's hard R. Like this movie tried really hard to get an R rating. They had to go to the the MPAA multiple times. They kept getting NC seventeens. Yeah, that was um, one of the reasons. I mean, right after Brandon Lee got died, they it got dropped by its original distributor, and part of the reason was in his death, obviously. But then they were they were saying to the press like, oh, this the ultra violence in this film. You know, it has to have an NC seventeen rating. And it is it 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 is. I guess violent, but I feel like it's no more violent than like most of the action movies around that, around yeah, that right. time. But it's, it, it's violent. Like a comic book is like those comic books, right? Like a Punisher, like other, like the crow and all comic book movies now are just like extremely bright, overly lit, uh, almost like, uh, ironic takes on comic book movies in a, in a way. Um, yeah, whereas this movie is just doing grading. it, right? It's just doing yeah. it. Like, there's this certain way where it's like the movie is using the visual storytelling, like the way a graphic novel does. I mean, the movie is based on a comic book, obviously. Um, but it's like, of course, the language of film is the language of like seeing things and understand things by seeing them. But there's something about this film, about the way that it's shot, where you can just see, like, every shot is a different comic book panel, basically. And sometimes it's a little jarring, and it doesn't really, it's not done really perfectly, you know? But it there, there's something about it where it's like, you can just, it, it very obviously is, you know, a comic book that became storyboards that became shots that are stitched together. Do you know what I mean? In this very, very comic book way. I I also feel like the you know the in terms of like not being ironic with your comic book movies someone could say well Zack Snyder is not ironic with his comic book movies but he's extremely digital like right. the other ones it's like all in front of a green screen and i don't know how better to say it but the eye does not register those images the way it does a hand drawn comic book panel right you know in in the same way that it registers analog 35 millimeter film like i i feel no connection when i watch the mechanics of a Zack snyder movie it just it looks like a cartoon do you know what i mean and it looks yes, like it a looks like, like a, a cartoon. like a cgi cartoon where you're just like okay yeah whatever i mean it's for it just for some reason it isn't magical it doesn't transport you or engross you in the way that something that's hand-drawn does the production designer of the movie alex mcdowell can you guess what movie he did in 1999 that if you hear it, will you'll immediately go, oh, of course, that makes perfect sense that he was hired for that. I mean, I don't know, The Matrix, what? No. What? Just fucking tell me. Fight Club. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I of course, can definitely see that, right? yeah, 100%. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty funny. I feel like I was accidentally doing a bit from on cinema. Have you ever seen that <laughs> the thing that... Um, the thing that he does where he's like uh he's like steven spielberg from and they're like jaws and i go and and i know i don't watch on cinema for some reason I, i've watched it a few times and i always like it whenever i watch it it's pretty great but the 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 guy who 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 did the crow did um fear and loathing in las vegas fight club minority report um he movies that do feel like they Burton's. take place in in the real world but like something's wrong and it it makes it gives you this kind of anxiety that just pervades for the entire film right that's actually really makes sense that's really cool and he did man of steel well that's interesting yeah yeah I mean, and he's like okay this, and you know the cinematographer of this movie 
ended up doing a few Tony Scott movies, um, some Ridley Scott movies, some Robert Zemeckis movies. He did some Tim Burton movies. So like this was his fourth movie and he was immediately picked up and brought into, uh, you know, the majors because his work on the film is fucking incredible. Yeah. The guy, the director, uh, Alex, Alex Proyas. Yeah. He's had not as good of a career. I guess he works in commercials a lot. Like that's if you go to his, like, I think it's even his IMDb is like a director of commercials and show and feature films. But he made Dark City, Dark City is really right. good, and it got yeah. a lot of awards from like the science fiction press, from the Saturn Awards yeah. and the Bram Stoker Awards. It's good, it's good, it's good. And then he made this movie called Garage Days, which is kind of stupid about a rock band. I have not seen this. Then the Will Smith iRobot, and then a really weird like frequency core kind of like dad science fiction horror movie from two thousand nine with Nicolas Cage called Knowing. Is that movie any good? I feel like I did. I can't remember if I saw it or if I'm thinking of like the number 13 or one of those other movies, you know? Yeah. It's what is the plot? It's like he. Oh, it's like he knows know, something. He knows something. <laughs> I'm looking at the Wikipedia and it's like uh, it's there's no like brief summary of the yeah, plot. It's very long. To, to, it's like a knows- thousand words. I think, I think he, he knows, knows the end of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I think that's yeah. it. Yeah. And then he directed Gods of Egypt, which is um, pretty. I don't. I don't know. I don't know how to. Say, it's like it's like one of the stupidest movies I've ever watched to the point <laughs> yeah. where it's almost it's almost brilliant. <laughs> Should we talk about what the what the movie's about? Yes, please. I can't believe we haven't done that yet. I hope you're being more professional this time, Ricky. Fuck. Oh, no. Professional doesn't necessarily mean summarizing the movie up front. This professional to me meant just like doing an intro off the top and letting people yeah. know what the thing is. Shout I mean, out to Aaron always... and Carly who inspired me to do that. Uh, the Crow is about um, Eric Draven, Eric D. Raven, who... Uh, one evening on Devil's Night in Detroit, which is the night before Halloween, it used to be called Cabbage Night where I grew up because you apparently threw cabbages at houses. We threw eggs and toilet paper. Um, a, uh, it's like a, a horrific, violent night in the city, and a group of guys show up at his fian- his and his fiance's apartment, and they, they rape her and kill the both of them. And a, a year later... He uh, arises from the grave and he seeks vengeance on uh, the guys that killed him. At the same time, he's got this little girl who him and his uh, fiance used to kind of take care of, uh, whose mother is a drug addict and hangs out with Fun Boy. I mean, it seems like she maybe might fuck around with the entire crew, but mostly Fun Boy is her boyfriend. And they shoot heroin together. And there's a cop who uh, showed up when they were when when uh eric and 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 his wife were killed and he's kind of following the case and that's played by ernie hudson and then the it's not confusing there's just a weird add-on which is that um it turns out the guys showed up at the apartment because they work for the landlord or something michael wincott's character who like yeah. runs the city or is running it into the ground and, because and they show up and they're like, we've gotten your complaints. They're like, did and you file these them. complaints? And then they start. Yeah. Well, I think this is part of the story of the movie is um, 
Yeah. They so after Brandon Lee died, the scene he died in is actually the scene where his character dies. And so they sh- cut it out of the movie and they like destroyed the film and they tell you he died in this other kind of dreamy flashbacky way. And they actually they couldn't finish the beginning of the movie because I think that's the stuff that they were supposed to have shot after he died. So they had to rewrite right. the whole beginning of the movie and they added all this narration and then they had to redo the whole thing about how he dies. So there are stretches of the movie where it like kind of doesn't make sense, you know, where there are like, and they did, and they did like these flashbacks where they actually composited through like new CGI technology in 1994, composited Brandon Lee's face onto Chad Stileski's, body who you were saying you know chad's leslie the director of john wick sorry i totally stole that from you no it's great so yeah that's one of the really i mean i just happened to find a better place to put it yeah you should die i think the way i was doing it was better but it's also fine the way that you did it um yeah so chad stileski the director of john wick is he was brandon lee's like really good friend they used to train together he was brandon lee's stunt double he was like Brandon Lee told him the news that he was going to be in the crow and they were like so pumped together. And he was on set the day that Brandon Lee got, got killed. And he was, yeah, 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 yeah. According to this interview I found with him. Oh, wow. And he was, it's apparently impacted like everything the way he has conducted the entire rest of his career. Like I read these. So there's this interview with him I found. Where it's like, you know, he says, you think about the absolute stupidity behind the reasons why that happened. It makes you angry, all the amateur bullshit. It's because everybody gets yesed and nobody wants to hurt anyone's feelings. So I decided very, very early on, there can be no political correctness when you're dealing with safety. It's just, fuck you, that's wrong. <laughs> and then he also says, my stunt coordinators and second unit directors on John Wick are friends of mine and I micromanage them. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm a complete dick. He said, I knew, but I just say, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. And they get it because they haven't lived through the same things that I've lived through. And it's like, it's really interesting to think about, you know, the repercussions that this thing has had, like throughout film history, you know, it's like the people, I mean, obviously this thing happened on Rust. Like until that, it was like the number one. Exactly. I was going to say, it's like the, it's like, it's very similar to what happened on Rust. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like the number one example of like safety on set going poorly. And like every stunt coordinator talks about this and like this is the reason they make you do all this absolutely boring stuff like wear eye like wear goggles and point the gun in a weird way and like all this like i read this interview with the stunt coordinator he's like one day i was coming off set and i heard one of the production people say like god why do we have to do all this stupid bullshit like nothing ever happens anyway and i was like exactly nothing ever happens (laughs) and i'm gonna make sure nothing ever happens you know well, what happened, I mean, one of the, th- what happened with, um, with the crow was that they actually sent the, uh, the gun specialist, the arm, the armorer home earlier that day. Cause they weren't planning on using the gun. And then in the middle of the shoot, the director decided that he wanted to actually like do the scene where, where he gets shot. And so they had an assistant prop master get the gun off the prop table who didn't know how to check it. Or, or what to do and that was one of the, that was one of the reasons that the, that that it, that it fired yeah because they so, didn't have the person there and apparently the, the the shoot was like plagued with issues like cursed from from the beginning there's all these stories of all these other incidents that happened on the set of uh of this movie well there is a thing like this movie isn't as bad as some movies you could name but sometimes you watch a movie and and you just know like this movie doesn't look 
safe. Like it looks like some of these people are not being like, they're not properly trained or their movements aren't that precise or like, it seems like a little dangerous to be on the set, you know? And usually you think of like horror movies from the seventies or something, but like, maybe it's just knowing that Brendan Lee dies, but you definitely can see that. Cause the thing was they were trying to save money and they didn't, and they were rushed. So they were a lot of things they should have taken time on and that they should have not sent the guy home early just to save some money. They, you know, they made the choice to save money and like, you can see it in the movie, you know, during the first day of shooting in Wilmington, North Carolina, a carpenter suffered severe burns after his crane hit live power lines. On subsequent days, a grip truck caught fire, a disgruntled sculptor crashed his car through the studio's plaster shop, and a crew member accidentally drove a screwdriver through his hand. Oh my god. Yeah, so I mean, what happened with the accident? Like, so this is like, okay, so as far as I read, what happens with the accident was... A lot of times when they film close-ups of bullets, they don't like to use blanks because they don't look real. So there's these special kinds of dummy rounds that they get that are essentially real bullets, okay? So they had filmed a scene two weeks before this where the, somebody was loading the, this revolver. And so, but the the crew, instead of using actual dummy bullets made by prop people for this purpose, went to a gun store and bought regular bullets. And then they like pulled out the bullet part and dumped out the gunpowder and just put the lead part back in but the thing is there's not just gunpowder in a bullet there's also primer is what they call it and if you pull the trigger it doesn't make a noise or anything but it just moves the bullet enough down the barrel that you don't see it anymore it moves it like an inch or two down the barrel so that's what happened is they loaded the gun for this scene somebody pulled the trigger for some reason and the bullet got stuck in the thing and then they they emptied out the gun and they put and there all the bullets were out, you know, but they didn't check the barrel. And then they loaded it later with blanks. And apparently blanks, you know, they don't have a propulsive part, but they have like twice as much gunpowder as a regular bullet. So basically when this guy pulled the trigger and it was, you know, not that it's his fault, obviously, but it was Michael Massey in the scene where Brandon Lee actually gets killed pulls the trigger and it was basically just like he shot a 357 magnum at him i mean the bullet was stuck in the thing and that was twice the amount of gunpowder and it was like i the stunt coordinator i saw i read this interview with said usually with an accident like this it's not like one big thing it's like 10 little things and that's exactly what this was like there were so many times when somebody could have checked it and figured out what was wrong but you know, they sent the gun guy home. They didn't check things properly, like multiple, multiple occasions. Yeah. And yeah it's really sad. It's died. fucking yeah. tragic. And I feel bad that I don't love his performance in the movie. I see. I think I do like his performance in the movie. Like it is like a little hokey sometimes, but you can tell that he's really like swinging for the fences with this one. Like he definitely thought well, this, this was his this big was shot. Like, yeah, exactly. He yeah. thought this was going to, he thought this was his big shot. Like a line, like, like there was this one part where he's he's done this real Batman thing where he shows up in Ernie Hudson's apartment like unannounced in the middle of the night wearing his like crow outfit, and um, the they have this whole thing and then he's like Ernie Hudson is like oh you're gonna jump out the window again and the line is like I thought I'd use your front door, but the way Brandon Lee says this he says it in like such a weird unexpected way I cannot. And he says it, it's like he's almost crying as he says it because he's been having this like emotional confession scene. And I was just like, that's just such an example of him bringing something to every single line in a way that is like not usual and possibly not necessary or good. (laughs) But it's like, you could tell he felt like every second I'm on screen is my opportunity to make a big impression, you know? And he's like really doing it. 
Yeah, I, you know, it's probably it's not necessarily his fault. From what I understand, like the uh, a lot of people didn't think the script was all that great, and uh, you know, they did massive rewrites after he he died to sort of like rewrite those those um those flashbacks to create something different versus what uh what it was. Because I mean, I, part of the movie to me it does feel like it's it's missing, even though he apparently only had like three days left to shoot. Yeah, right. It does feel like it does feel like there's sort of something missing in the movie right like, like there was a, right like, around the hour mark i i was like what is going on in this movie right now like i felt like there had been like 15 minutes where like the crow was not in the movie and we were just kind of wandering around between characters and i was like where where is this movie going and i and i assumed it was like oh he died and so they had to fill this whole middle section of the movie with shit that doesn't really work but no like that wasn't that's how it's supposed to be i guess you know that's like the secret. That's like when they're sort of like expanding on the on the villains a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. And the only shot of the crow is him playing the guitar from behind against the sunset. You know. Yeah. While we, I think yeah, my while favorite, we learn more about the villains. My favorite scene there uh, within that is uh, Skank's monologue to Top Dollar when he's telling him what happened to T Bird. I mean, the villain names in this movie are so awesome, right? Uh, Skank is T- like Skank. Skank. Is like, t-bird who yeah, likes Skank cars like, that's his thing <laughs> and top dollar wasted and he's talking to top dollar and tony todd and he's like oh, the fucking freak out of the car man and it blew up and he's crying he's like chugging a bottle of whiskey and and michael wincott's just making fun of him the whole time and then slaps him he's essentially talking like Boomhauer from king of the hill and yes, top dollar does is. at some point say um we should just videotape him and then slow it down <laughs> Right. And then, but, and then, and then when, uh, and I, I, again, I remember like certain weird memories where it's like, I remember being young and being like, that line doesn't really work. Uh, when, uh, the crow, uh, Brandon Lee's holding skank up and he goes, hi skank or something like that. And skank goes, skank, skank's dead. Skank's dead right there. And he looks over and then Brandon Lee goes, that's right. And then throws him out of the window and it's like, is he trying to convince this guy that the guy on the floor that we're not shooting a camera at is Skank and he's not Skank? I'm not really sure what's... And I remember or being like... Speaking like spiritually, he's like, Skank has now died and I'm a new man. Yeah, like, you need exactly. to leave, You can let me go. It's safe. That's what I mean. I was like, I remember being young and watching this movie and like, what? <laughs> what's, he talking, <laughs> what's he talking about here? Um, but I think that also, like the movie, once, once he kills Skank, the movie is kind of over. Like he doesn't have to go after. Yeah, right. There's no re- and there, and the whole thing is top dollar. Like takes one of the bad guys to his like to like lure Brandon Lee there so that they can kill him. But it's like, why? Why does he fucking care? Just let him kill this guy, and then the whole thing will be over. You know, like who? Who cares? Yeah. When someone's dead, I can't come back, can we? To my thoughts. Are you referring to anyone in particular? I read something last night too that Prius wanted to shoot the movie in black and white, but um, the studio obviously wouldn't let him. And so the way that what he did was he and the DP created like uh, some sort of like monochrome uh, uh, way of shooting where no one in the production in the set design or, or production design could use blue because they that was going to screw up what they were going to be doing with the dye process afterwards. So the only time blue is used is during the flashback oh, that's really interesting i thought that was kind of yeah. interesting yeah it's a very intentional movie 
in a lot of ways, which is what sets it apart from so many other movies around this time and movies that come out now because a director, even though they say this movie had no money and they were, there were all these accidents on set because of no money, it still had $18 million, yeah. which is like more than most movies that are trying to have intention have. Now. And the other thing to say too is like, right, so the original distributor dropped it because of the death and all this other stuff. Uh, and then Miramax came in, they gave them an extra $8 million to do like reshoots and finish the film and everything. And then it ended up being like a big sleeper hit. Like it made almost $100 million around the world, which, you know, especially against its yeah. like 20 whatever million dollar budget is like an amazing accomplishment. And, uh, you know, did it help that it's really cute star died making the movie did that hurt it i don't know but i mean as a kid who grew up in the 90s this was like an absolutely iconic film i mean the crow t-shirt right like that's i'm just thinking of like every girl i went to middle school with like that was the main thing they wore you know and the soundtrack, and the soundtrack. yeah and the soundtrack yeah yeah which you can kind of tell is like like so many 90s soundtrack soundtracks is such an afterthought like those songs are so obviously dropped in yeah, right. in post and were not thought of beforehand, right? Like suddenly Big Empty is playing as these guys are driving around for like a hot second and then it cuts out and it's gone. And then like suddenly like a lick of a Pantera song is playing to open a scene in a bar and then it's out. It's not yeah. like intentional. The crow is running over a rooftop and it's going, dun, 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 they keep calling me. I will say the only two uses intentional uses of music in the movie i think though are the cure when he's putting the makeup oh, yeah. on the cure wrote that song for the movie the cure was a huge reference point for the comic book and the nine inch nails cover of joy division joy division was also a reference for the comic book as well at the very least it feels to me like those were like starting points and then the rest were like just get me the big hard rock bands <laughs> and, and we'll layer we'll lay it layer it over the movie um yeah, this movie, if you were like 12 or 13, it's an entry point into discovering the cure. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I was more of a craft soundtrack guy, but that was a few years later, you know? Endlessly listening to the craft soundtrack, which is not as good as the soundtrack at all, but it, I spent a lot of time with it. And uh, when you were putting your, your daughter to bed last night, I watched some clips from uh, The Crow, City of Angels, the sequel to God. this movie, which has... Um, Iggy Pop, as well as uh, Thomas Jane. Thomas Jane in a very hilarious, uh, exaggerated masturbation scene uh, <laughs> where he gets attacked. Like he goes to like um, one of those uh, one of those jerk off booths where it's like you know you have a phone and the girl is behind glass and she's like you know stripping for you kind mm -hmm. of thing. And um, one of those jerk off he's, booths. He's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know exactly what yeah, you mean, but like, I love the way you said that. He's one of those uh, jerk off booths, you know. Right, that I've only ever seen in movies. Yeah. Like I've never, like they haven't existed I since I was exist. even close to a I think of they age. still exist in New York City, but I think they just show videos. Really? In them now, yeah. Oh my god, I can't imagine what that's for. Like the ability to access pornography, yeah. uh, unparalleled on a personal level, is so easy. Like to be like, I want to go to a booth. <laughs> where many other men have come in today. Well, it's like, Ricky, what, what brings us to the cinema? Do you know what I mean? It's like we're longing for that sense of connection for the public space, you know? <laughs> and so he's like, he's like masturbating really like furiously hard. 
and then the lights go out and when they come back on um uh the guy who's playing the crow vincent perez uh jumps out the window and and attacks him it's not a very good movie the guy who directed it never directed another movie he only directed like in excess and cure videos um and it's a very uh if you if i thought brandon lee's performance as as uh eric draven wasn't that great the guy vincent perez who's playing uh the crow in this is like it's 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 hard it's really hard there are so speaking of remakes and sequels to the crow um there's a remake that's they've been trying to remake it for a long time there's i found uh on twitter and i'll be posting on the account this jason momoa screen test for being the crow from like years ago from like 2008 maybe i want to say it must be later than oh, wow. that i haven't seen this. he's like uh a lot skinnier he's like hanging sexily on a on a like lamp post when in full crow makeup with long hair and he looks it looks pretty good honestly um of course everybody is like roasting it in the come replies but it's not bad but the there is a remake with bill skarsgård that's like Mm-hmm. in post i guess uh, supposedly they were trying yeah. to get funding at sundance last year and it's in from the director of snow white and the huntsman yeah, exactly. so you it's know that's gonna, gonna be, be great. great yeah but it's in post now or at least it was as of last uh, fall winter so i you know uh, theoretically that'll be coming out at some point in the coming years but you know i guess we'll see to me jason momoa seems like a lot better fit than bill skarsgård i really can't see it especially after seeing him in john wick 4 i'm like that this fucking guy is gonna be the crow i i don't know i gotta say after like it uh barbarian and john wick 4 i'm starting to lean towards the feeling that bill skarsgård can do anything yeah oh wait here i'm just gonna I'm going to send this to you in a message, Ricky. I got this pulled up. I just oh, watched you did? it while you were talking. Yeah. Where he's like. Yeah, he's like, like sort of, yeah. Male oh, model This one, shit. this is my uh, favorite one. Dude, it's going to suck. Like, uh, you can't, the whole thing that's so cool about the crow is like that it's it's like it's gritty it's 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 kind of you know he doesn't really have superpowers he can just sort of jump and he can get shot he can't even really jump he's just jumping from building to building it's not like he's he moves blind. quickly like well, one he time out of he moves like he kind of moves like a little weirdly fast like once or twice but they don't ever get into his powers other than healing like his power is just that he gets shot and then he can stand back up again that's basically it that's the other kind of cool thing about this movie is that there's no there's no sequence where he discovers his powers. Right. I mean, there's that right at the beginning, he cuts his hands and then looks at his hands as they heal. And then that's it. That's the only time we ever talk about it, you know? And he just kind of goes like, right. whoa. You know that this, you know that this movie with Skarsgård is going to have like a five minute sequence of him, like jumping across a bit, like uh, uh, over buildings and being like, okay <laughs> and it's gonna be some talk about like so the an- that happened like the ancients are gonna be talked about i bet you know uh, this movie was supposed right. to have some this is in the wikipedia i'm just reading the wikipedia that classic podcast shit but there's some character in the comics called skull cowboy that michael berryman was supposed to play that was supposed to be his yeah. like guide between the the worlds of the living and the dead but then they just cut that whole part of the movie out when brandon lee died but I can imagine that would have had a lot of shit about like, what are the rules and why is this happening? You know? And that's exactly what it was. And like the whole idea was supposed to be like, when, 
when Top Dollar and his half sister kidnap the little girl, and and uh, Eric has to go sort of like save her. The there he's gonna like uh whatever his name is is like you can't do that like you all you can do is get vengeance and if you do anything outside of getting vengeance on your death you will lose your powers and so that's why when he goes to the church and he gets shot he's lost his powers but what they did later was they shot this whole bit about like the crow being captured as being the reason for it's the crow powers. and they keep cutting to the crow like flapping around and you're like is the crow alive or dead or does he have his powers or not have his powers it's like it's yeah. a little silly yeah Is his link between the land of the living and the realm of the dead. So kill the crow. Oh, call, bang, I'm dead! Let's go, man. So at the end of the podcast, we always ask three questions because we needed to come up with some way of, of structuring this thing uh, a long time ago. And we've, we've, we've stuck bad. with it. It's not bad. And it's, no, it's not bad. Uh, the first question is a very easy question. And it's just, Chris, you know, what was your favorite part of this of 1994's The Crow. Yeah, so Ricky, as I said, I had not seen this movie before, although I was, you know, intimately familiar with the iconography of the film, you know, as from Girls I Had Crushes on in Middle School's t-shirt. Right, exactly. Um, like, so my favorite part of the movie was my pure joy at discovering. So the whole thing of The Crow, and I don't even know if we, we talked about it a little bit, but he's wearing this makeup that's kind of like black metal, like corpse makeup uh, or clown makeup or whatever. I had always assumed that this was in some way related to his like supernatural existence, but it in fact is just makeup he puts on to be dramatic. <laughs> like that's the first thing yes. he does when he comes back from the dead is put on dramatic makeup. And then he also, the crow costume that he's wearing, these crazy like leather shirts with thumb straps and stuff. It's all just stuff he has at the house because he is an, a hot nineties guy in a rock band. So he has all of this stuff just sitting around his apartment. And it's not like it's for secret identity purposes because he is in fact, going around telling everyone his real first and last name constantly you know and so it's like he just does it to look cool and which i respected that so much i was like this fucking slaps and you know there's this whole other element where he's got like at a certain point he starts having uh like electrical tape all around his arm right or like duct tape or something like that and the reason for that is again because he in order to hold on to his powers of healing, he can't do anything outside of uh, uh, get vengeance. And when he squeezes the heroin out of Darla's arm in the middle of the movie, he's using his powers for something other than vengeance. And she or somebody in the scene apparently was supposed to grab a piece of glass and slice at him. Mm-hmm. And that cut doesn't, doesn't end up healing. <laughs> so, I mean, but, they had to but cut it's it like out. you don't need any of that stuff. You know what I mean? It works fine. It works fine without knowing any of that. You know, movies are hard, man. You don't know sometimes. You know, like you have no idea until oh, you God, get to right. certain stages where you're like, oh, I, I guess we don't need this. Maybe this movie's eighty minutes long <laughs> until it's done, basically, right? Yeah. Um. What, Ricky? What was your favorite part of the movie? Uh, I mentioned him uh, earlier, uh, but any time uh, David Patrick Kelly is on screen is uh, my favorite part of the movie. I especially like when um, he's getting he's he's uh, t- taped duct taped to the passenger seat of the car, oh my God. and he starts reciting um, "Paradise Lost," 
as he's about to be like blown up into the water. Um, I just think he's an incredible he's performer. So I mean, and I love this it. is one of the like, okay, the second question we always ask is what's the most nineties thing about this movie? And to answer it myself, this is only part of the answer, but like there is a certain way that the crow takes all the vengeance he's doing so fucking far, which is also kind of like something we've grown out of. So whatever it straddles these two answers. But in this scene, he's literally torturing David Patrick Kelly. He's like duct taping him to a car seat and lecturing him about how he's going to kill him, reducing him to tears before he indeed does like shoot his car off a cliff or off a dock and explode it. But it's a kind of a long scene. And I was like, and he is, David Patrick Kelly is fucking crying. And I was like, damn, they really do not do shit like this anymore. Like this is not, this is not done. Like the hero of a movie, even if it's kind of a dark movie, I don't think it's literally going to reduce somebody to tears and then murder them. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, you know, I mean, maybe, it, but it just, it struck me a little bit. <laughs> the last movie that I, that I saw that really did, it, and this is a movie that came out a long time ago at this point was Tony Scott's man on fire where oh, Denzel yeah. literally puts a bomb up a guy's butt. <laughs> Like the guy wakes up and Denzel's like, there's a, I shoved a bomb up your ass. And then the guy blows up. <laughs> <laughs> right. Cause that's the thing is you're trained to think like, Oh, it'll be a joke or it's not really going to go off. Or it's like, no, it fucking does go off. And it was not a joke. <laughs> he fucking killed this guy. I mean, this, this, this movie is like so clearly in debt to like death. Yes. Wish, I was thinking exactly right? that. Yeah. It is, it is It is. kind of a Death Wish knockoff, except the difference, is, I think, is that, and it's not this movie's fault. It's like what they had to do because it's, it's how they had to shoot it. Like, Death Wish has a whole, like, first act before, right, like, right. He, be, he, before, like, you know, his family gets murdered, really. Uh, or at the very least, you're introduced to the characters. He has to deal with it. And then he decides. It's not just, like, an immediate kind of, like, I, this movie launches into it, I think, within like ten minutes. It's he's like the crow it happened. Well, it's like the opening, the first second is like every year the spirits bring somebody back from the dead to avenge their own death, and then it's yeah, within a yeah. couple of minutes you're seeing Brandon Lee like explode out of the ground. Um, and. There's there if you I I went back and I read the original script and like the opening of the of the original script is him coming out of the grave. <laughs> really? <laughs> like, okay. Well, here you no go. one yeah. like, yeah, like, no one was taking any time. Yeah, here. It's, it's a fucking uh, comic book movie. I, you know, they're like, we got to get to it. We got to get to it right away. It's called the crow. Let's start with the crow. But I, but there's a part of me that does feel like it's, it, it suffers a little bit for getting to it too fast. Um, well, because you want to, you don't really feel anything right. when he's going after these. You guys. don't know anything about him. You don't know any. I mean, you just there's this flashback where him and his girlfriend are being kind of cute. And really, I do. I know you said you didn't like his performance, but I do like the one minute where like um, they're showing all these like they're being a cute couple together in flashback. He's like he's he's like takeout. I guess we'll get ch Chinese. We'll get takeout. He's like yeah, God, I think I wrote it down, but it is something like that. He's like, guess we're getting McDonald's. <laughs> he's like, right. He's yeah. just got a really dumb, cute grin on his face, and I was like, I mean, that would be charming in real life. It's kind of stupid in a movie, but it's like he's cute. He's being silly. Like, okay, it works. You know, it, it works, dog. Um, no, it totally it, it totally works. I think. Um, 
I and and those those like those flashbacks are sort of revealed over the course of the movie as well, right? They kind of want to re- like as he is killing these bad guys, it's almost like a, a an idea that like as he touches them, he learns more about what was done. Right. He's like him. seeing their and, memories. Right. But it, but you are like, but why is he doing that if he knows to 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 enact vengeance on? And these he was people? there. Like, I mean, he, he to... was there. Like he right. doesn't really need. So does he? Re- does he remember or does he not remember? And and also like, in a movie, in a revenge movie, you want to know, like right, like before the revenge starts, exactly what we're getting revenge. <laughs> And you want to experience like the horror of that thing. So you experience like there's a reason that Kill Bill opens with pregnant Uma Thurman in a bridal dress getting shot in the face and her brains blowing out or her blood blowing out behind her head. Because like you're immediately like, yeah, let's fucking kill all those people that had something to do with that. That's terrible. Same thing with Death Death Wish and and any of these movies. Straw dogs, you know, like. Right. And so it's kind of like flat over the course of the movie that you're like, okay, I guess we're just killing these guys. And that is another thing that makes it so cartoony and so like TV showy is it's just like, okay, the good guy is killing the bad guys. And that is really all of the motivation that you're given. You know, like we're just going to watch the good guy go around and in five separate set pieces, kill five separate bad guys. And we don't, we're not really privy to more of it than that, you know? Yes. Uh, I do want to backtrack for a second and take you to task. And I apologize for this. Um, But uh, straw dogs is not really a revenge movie. Right. Fair. Okay. It's more of a, like a menacing movie that ends in a big bloody confrontation siege. Right. Right. Because I mean, I think one of the misunderstandings about or, or sort of misrememberings of straw dogs over so many years is that he is taking revenge over the rape of his wife, but he actually doesn't know that that even happened. <laughs> like it's not something that is in, in any way, uh, you know, impacting his reasoning for protecting the house. In fact, why he's protecting the house is because they're trying to get in there to kill a child, uh, a mentally handicapped child molester who just murdered a young girl that he is protecting. Right. You are right. And I did totally forget that part of the movie. Yes. But I was thinking more in the way that it has a kind of first act where there are, you're more in reality, where there are kind of lower stakes where you're getting to know the characters before it becomes a violent confrontation. And then that makes the violent confrontation more meaningful and you're more emotionally involved because all that stuff is happening. Yeah, that's that's correct. Yeah, you're you're you know who these characters are right. when when it starts happening for the most part. You know who the town is. Yeah. With this, I mean, I mean it makes sense with this to the degree that it's just like bad guys. Yeah, exactly. These guys are bad guys. Like they they go to a bar and they talk and they excitedly talk about burning a city down, scream fire it up, and then off the drop of a dime they get so mad at each other that they get into a Mexican standoff. <laughs> they wear leather, <laughs> they be... do drugs, they listen to rock music. Like, these are bad guys, you know? Like, Right. And, and they have to be asked politely by the waitress to put their guns away. <laughs> it is a very, like, uh, Old West saloon moment. I mean, they, yeah. Yeah. You could actually, yeah, you could do this movie in the Old West. I would like that. They should do that for the fucking, for the sequel to the remake. Because it happens every year, um, right? You know, it happens every year for all of time. 
Devil's Night? Devil's Night. Well, I don't know. Who's to say they didn't have Devil's Night in fucking Arizona in 1884, you know? It was the night before Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) The whole frontier was alight with pumpkins. Tumbleweeds yeah, blowing in. It. I don't know what that sounds like. Tumbleweeds blowing. I got it. Uh, Ricky, what is? what do you think the most 90s part of this movie is? I the mean, soundtrack. Fuck. Yeah, of course. You can't. There's nothing. I mean, sure, there's other things that you could point to. I think the casting of Michael Wincott uh, is probably one of them, though he's he's become someone that's casting things now. The The soundtrack. Stone Temple Pilots, oh Rage God. Against the Machine, Pantera. Stone Temple Pilots over the credits. Uh, Nine Inch Love Nails. It. Love it. Yeah, like, no, the soundtrack, the soundtrack, the soundtrack. Um, I also think there's something to the way that, like, um, yeah, the soundtrack f- rules so fucking, they don't even make, I mean, I hate to say they don't do it like this anymore. They don't even make soundtracks anymore. Like, not really, not the way that, this is, it, we've talked about this before, like, in this moment in time, the soundtrack was, like, a major part of developing a film and, like, releasing a film and the marketing of it, you know? Like, the well, I think I think the way that they do soundtracks now is they do like Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Where like all of those songs are like baked into the script and the rights to them right. are secured, I think, beforehand. Whereas at this time, the only movies that were really doing that were like auteur movies like Goodfellas or Boogie Nights or Pulp Fiction. And in actuality, what soundtracks were, were like the movie was made and then producers were like, okay, here are like a bunch of hot bands right, right now on our partner at our partner record company, let's get some synergy going here and let's throw them on. Like clerks was bought at Sundance for like, you know, 50, I don't remember how much it was bought for, but Harvey Weinstein bought it. And then they put the soundtrack over it and they bought all of those songs so that they could market it with a soundtrack. There were, there was no music on it. I think at That's the Sundance actually premiere. Pretty funny. That's it would be so much more boring with like literally no music on it. I mean, it would be so much more of like a Kevin Smith movie with no music on it, right? Just like, oh, I can use music. I can, I can add music to a movie. I can. Am I allowed? Move, Is that I can allowed? Move the camera. <laughs> I can use the lights. No, that's don't be fucking crazy. Um, but I think, uh, uh, yeah, we don't, we don't. I don't feel like we get that anymore, right? Where it's just sort of like, oh, uh, this pop punk band is popular right now. Let's put them on uh, in between in between yeah. scenes when one character walks out of a scene and a car drives up in the next scene before the characters <laughs> get out of the car, you'll hear the first bars of third eye blind or lit. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the early two thousands was the, the death of, of that kind of shit. Like, you know, teen movies from then, right? Like can't hardly wait or whatever. Sec roast yeah, once drive the, once, road trip, you know. Once the teen movie died, or now it's like a soundtrack, it's like we've got one song right by the biggest artist in the world. The right. weekend, the, the weekend was song, the exact Lady person Gaga. I was thinking of. Yeah, exactly. Adele. Yeah, or like Lady Gaga did our song, or Adele, yeah. And then the rest of it's Has like Taylor eh. Swift done a song for a I don't movie think yet? so. Outside of maybe like cat. <laughs> I don't think she even I mean she cats has the song from cats you know she hasn't like written a song for a right. movie i don't think no i think i think for cats like she partially wrote oh like a new song like, oh, you could be I, right i think it did wrong. have I a couple so. new songs in it so you could totally be right yeah 
I'm not sure if I am. Chris, what was the most 90s thing about this movie for you? You can say the soundtrack because, I mean, it's, it's so almost true. objective it's so that the soundtrack is the most 90s thing about There's this movie. There's just, I mean, this movie to me, and I was thinking about this when I was watching it, like, you know, we've been doing this show off and on for a couple of years, and I feel like getting to this point is like, now it is, like, this is the fucking 90s, like 100%, you know? There's something about it, and maybe it's just because it had such a long tail of impact, but, like, the crow just became a part of the signifiers of your suburban identity for like at least the next seven or eight years after this came out, like hot topic stuff and like, you know, things people draw in their notebooks. It was just like, you know, people wearing thumb rings. It was just such a huge part of culture and a huge part of like being a goth um, in the nineties was like being conversant in the crow, you know? Right, the crow is like the first is like is like someone saw the crow and was like, I'm gonna start a store. Yes, exactly. Topic. Yes. Like what if there you could just like it's so hard to get your leather thumb shirts. Like, what if we just had a store that had all of that? You know, like thumb rings, like weird candle holders, you know, shirts that make you look like a vampire. Like, can we just put all this stuff in one store and put it in every mall in America? You know? I have you been to a hot, a hot topic in the last couple no, of years? No, I have not. No, I went to one last year. I was just in I was in a mall somewhere. I don't remember where I was, but I had to go to a mall to go to like a Apple store or something. Um, and I, I I walked around the mall and I went to I went inside a hot topic and it it's like still a lot of ephemera from like when when our age like nirvana the things that you would assume are still popular mm-hmm. right nirvana i think maybe i would even say the cure i don't think the nightmare cure, before christmas the is that is it, that still like, popular yeah nightmare before christmas nirvana um and i you know i can't think of any of the other real bands and then the rest is like is anime, anime stuff yeah it's like an anime one part. of the first things i noticed was like yeah. invader zim became like one of the big hot topic things are you familiar with this this is like a yeah yes, i remember this that. is like a yeah. huge hot topic thing like backpacks and whatever and it always was a little weird to me because it's not even a very good show and it's not particularly alternative either i don't know how that became one of the things it's like a kind of proto rick and morty Except it sucks. <laughs> no, I, and I watched like every episode of that show basically, and I think it sucks. Um, I never liked Invader Zim. I remember trying to get into it because it was it was blowing up like that, and I was like, oh, it must be kind of cool. And then I watched it, and it, it sucks. And it sucked. Yeah. But I also don't particularly love anime. That's just personally, I don't, I, I can't say anything bad about it because it's yeah. like very obviously uh, a great art form, but it just doesn't, it doesn't really and a check huge, the boxes a for huge me. part of culture for anyone under. 35 basically is like a, a, a huge part of their culture is anime whether you're a norm or a total weirdo i think you, you know what's what what i do think is fun about anime though is that like if you are an old fool and go into hot topic and see all the anime stuff and think to yourself like this is stupid we used to like transgressive rock when when i was a kid and now all these kids are just into cartoons Go watch some Dude, anime. It's all about like eating your because it's pretty fucking transgressive. It's about like eating your sister's skin. Like that's like what anime is about, yeah. dude. And then like fucking like her while she's dripping. Pretty, you know, like that's what anime is about. Pretty transgressive yeah, shit. It's way more than writing a song where you're like, "Daddy doesn't like me," <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, um. Ricky, the last question we ask each other is, 
what's something that we've grown out of since this movie uh, came out, by which we usually mean like something that used to be common that isn't really common anymore. Uh, lots of times it was sexism and racism that you don't, there's not really a lot of that in this movie. Um, what, what no, do you think we've grown out of from this film? Uh, I feel like we've, uh, well, one, you know, we'll see what we grew out of when, uh, this crow remake yeah, comes right. with Bill Skarsgård, right? Like that'll just be the, uh, a great, um, sort of depictor of, of exactly what, uh, is is expected of um, IP like this at this point. Uh, but I think one of the things that we've grown out of, first thing that comes to mind is sort of the depiction of bad guys as just like uh, drug taking <laughs> goons that like drugs at a time like were a, like were an immediate signifier of bad. This people. is actually one of mine I don't too think... is the drugs in this movie. There's a lot of drugs in this. Like you watch people shoot heroin, which I just don't see right. as much he, anymore, you know? He, like, shoves a bunch of heroin needles into a guy's chest to kill yeah. him and draws a crow around his chest. Um, and I guess I guess that. Like, I just don't think you would, you, you would do that. Like, largely, drug addiction is, is, in our society, has become a symbol of, like, pity and sadness, right. you know? It's not a symbol of like grimy scumbags who just want to rob and steal these bad people who do bad things, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, I do want to say it because I was just reminded of this and it's, it's slight, slight tangent and then we'll come back. But like the way that the crow symbol works in the movie. Right. And it's an, it's another instance of no one having told him like you are the crow (laughs) and this is, and you are, followed by a crow and you have to and this symbol is so important all of a sudden he starts doing he starts like drawing it, it, it in fire like just to again just to be cool you know like and it's sort of it's sort of strange right because in batman you you sort of get it right because they use the bat signal to call him he's already a part he's of got Gotham, it drawn on his right? chest you know he's got it at the little batarangs yeah. he obviously has thought about his branding and 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 because he's built it all himself over the course of time, you get that with the crow. It's like this. Um, it, it, it's like okay, this is usually what comic book movies do, <laughs> comic book characters do. So he does it too, and and there's like no reason <laughs> for him to be like griff- tagging everything with a crow. He, he never once tells somebody he's the crow. Again, he tells people his full first and last name anytime they ask who he is. You know. He he at one point uh, misquotes the Raven. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but that's that's like about it. It's just a it's just it 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 almost like exists in like thirteen year old me's mind while watching it. Right where it's like thirteen year old me is watching the symbol appear and is like yes. Forty <laughs> year old me is watching the symbol appear and is like. Where did he get why, that idea? Why is he from? doing that? <laughs> why did he, he like pour that? out gasoline very carefully in the shape of a crow, and then he like it all lit simultaneously, and like he didn't at any point during that get distracted, or you know, like is he is he trying to alert people that the crow did this? What is the crow? How does he, he know he's is he the taunting crow? people, or is does he just think it's neat to do this, or you know, yeah, 
no yeah yeah mine definitely also is is the drugs but then also something we haven't mentioned which is uh something such a classic from some of the movies that we've done ricky which is that there's a fucking live band performance in this movie. Like, Fuck hell yes. yeah. There's a whole bit where it's like the live there's band. Two. Yes, there's two. Two different there's live two. bands. Because, and they're both yes, good. Yes, they're both really good. Because the bad guy owns a rock club. So we several different yeah. times cut to like people playing music and the bad guys hanging out at the rock club. Oh, oh, and I, 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 haven't, I haven't said this yet. The bad guy in this owns a rock club and he's played by Michael Wincott and the rock club is leather clad and has industrial bands. Strange days, which comes out the following year or the year after that Catherine Bigelow's strange days, a rock club called, um, Oh fuck. It's a really great, it's a really great name. I'm going to look it up in a second, but it's owned by a record by Michael Wincott, who is thought to be the bad guy in the movie. And it's all industrial leather clad bands, dude. I mean, and there is so much stuff like this in this movie where it's just like tropes and cliches, but you're like, it it's existing in that world of tropes and cliches. And, and in some cases it's kind of like, it's not originating them, but it's at least kind of like a semi early example of them. Um, but it just gives it this like dream quality where even though a lot of the stuff doesn't technically make sense, it just like emotionally makes sense. You're like, oh yeah, the bad guys are at the rock club, which the bad guy owns. Like, yes, of course, that is the way it goes. Yes. But yes, and that's that's what I'm talking about. And I think as much as I was like criticizing it for it, it's like, it's it's sort of better that it's that way, right? Because now we exist in this world where it's like they're over explaining the cliche. Right. They're still reliant on all these cliches. Some of them different, like you know, the drug addict one is, is is not it anymore. But they're still reliant on all these cliches, and they're just like over explaining them into two and a half, three hour movies, where it's like, I, does anyone really need this? It's just the bad guys. <laughs> yeah, it's like I don't like. There would be some monologue where Michael Wincott is like, you know, I I actually inherited this from my father. I hate music. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. no, he just has a fucking rock club. It's fine. He's the bad guy. He's a weirdo, you know? Right. Instead of, instead, instead the monologue is like a brief scene where, uh, the woman that he's, that it's obvious that he's fucking tells him they have a dead woman oh in their bed for some reason. And she's like, I'm going to cut her eyes out because she likes her eyes. And then in the following scene, he introduces her as his sister. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ooh, who we forgot to mention who 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 is su- the character that's surprised by that it's a sister is played by the great John Polito from um, Oh yeah. All the well, this is another movies. one of these great that guys in this movie. John Polito is like a real he's just giving it, you know, he's doing a great job and it's great to see him in this movie as the sleazy pawn shop owner. <laughs> and the he escapes getting killed by the crow because technically he wasn't involved in the murder. And then he is stabbed through the throat with a sword by Michael Wincott, which is so great. So I think I want to go back and just take back everything negative that I said about this movie. I think I like <laughs> yes, this movie. Yes, it love rules. This, movie this is what I was saying. I think it rules. Yes. I think it's like, it's, it's, it's so stripped down and bare bones in its own way. And uh, that makes it better. Because I'd rather, I think, I think even my brain, who doesn't like the the over explanation of 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 uh, comic book movies nowadays is so used to right. it that I had a hard time adjusting to 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 not having it in this movie. But in retrospect, 
It's better for it. Yeah. Just get to the fucking violence and, and bullshit. And it does make it more comic booky, I think, because, you know, comic books are a visual medium. Like, things happen... Like, things look the way they look, and that's kind of the whole explanation. Is like, you're supposed to be able to look at it and understand everything about what's going on. And I think that this movie really is is at least attempting to do that, where there's not a lot of, like hokey backstory or explanation it's just like you look at something and it's like okay now we know what that is and then you you just kind of it proceeds in that kind of way you know which i i thought was pretty cool and well done and not not done very often chris so i'm making a new rule um if if we if we do a movie and following that movie a remake comes uh-huh. out we have to I do that we have I to love do it. the remake let's do it yes 100 percent. right so maybe it's not 30 years later since the new Crow came out, but because we, we did the Crow, the, we'll do the no, new that's Crow. Fair. I think that's fair and it makes sense. Has that ha, ha, Have there been any remakes of anything that we did before? I don't think I'd so. have to look. I think there's been lots of sequels and reboots, but I don't know if there's been yeah. remakes technically of any of them. Um, yeah. What was that terrible movie with Dan Aykroyd? Aren't they doing a reboot of that? <laughs> Nothing, Nothing but, but Trouble. trouble. That would no, be they're incredible of not if they doing did a reboot that. Of that. That was just the worst example I could think of. Um, I actually think I actually think that there is a world where that would work. <laughs> it would have to be. Like, it just needs to be better written and better made. It, that is just a a impossibly disgusting movie. Well, that's the whole point of the movie, though, is how disgusting it is. Um, it's too much. <laughs> all right, dog. I think we did it. I think we got to leave it there, brother. I think we got it. Um, Episode two of the return. It's great to great to see you. Great to talk with you. Thanks to everybody. Check us out. Uh, you can follow Ricky at Ricky Cams oh. on Twitter. I'm at Gentleman's Times. That's singular possessive Gentleman's Times. Find us wherever you find podcasts. Uh, you know, and we'll be back again relatively soon with another episode. stuff brother that's gonna that's going in the episode